knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Ashley Gossick. And this is kind of an exciting week. This is our first week being out on our own. We are no longer with the Bible Thumping Wing Net Network. We're now we now have our own web page, us there, and you can find all of our old episodes there also. So we've been busy trying to get everything transferred over. And our new website probably doesn't look that exciting yet, but we will be working on that. It's just going to take us some time to uh, get all of that done. How, how are you doing, Ashley? I'm doing well. Um Gosh, I should have had something prepared to say, huh? <laughs> um, I'm doing well. I've, Good. I've been I've been tweeting this week. Yeah, I've been tweeting. you've been kind of getting getting in some trouble. Yeah, tweeting some uh, law gospel distinction stuff out there. Yeah, I I'm I, I caused a kerfuffle a little bit uh, the other day, so. You know, just trying to, and I knew what I was doing. I did it intentionally. <laughs> so you're a troublemaker? I was being a little bit of a troublemaker. And in response, I got some law gospel confusion. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it was very interesting. Turns out that the person that, I won't say a lot, but I think sometimes when you find out the theology of the person taking issue, then it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. But, I mean, there was people responding who, like, on their profile, it says, like, you know, Reformed Presbyterian. And they were still, you know, taking issue with what I was saying. And then once I, like, explained it, they didn't respond back. Or they were Mm -hmm. like, oh. Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) So I think... I think as, you know, I've heard I've heard the guys on Mortification of Spin say this that social media is set up to be very reactionary. People don't like actually take a second and think critically. They just react. Um right. we see that like on Facebook posts and Twitter and so people don't that's just the nature of social media. People just react, you know. 
And when you ask them, did you actually think about what I was trying to say here? It's like, no. Right. So. Yeah, I know. I sometimes, when I see something that I'm tempted to react very quickly, sometimes I'll remind myself, just step back, don't say anything for a little bit and wait. Because so often when I am really reactionary and say something very quickly, I end Mm -hmm. up regretting it. Yeah. Oh, almost always, right? Yeah. Totally. Even in in real life, too. (laughs) Like when you feel that, like, I don't know how to explain it, that rising, like, anger or, like, I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it out loud, what I want to say. I've never looked back and gone, I'm glad I said that. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, like, you, you could get upset with, like, your husband or child or parent or something like that. And you know, and you even know as it's coming out of your mouth that you should not be saying what you're saying right now. Yeah. At least for me, that's how I feel. Sometimes like as it's coming out of my mouth, I know it's the wrong thing to do. Right. And yet my sinfulness takes over and I do it anyways. Isn't that kind of the nature of sin though? There's like this fleeting moment of like, I did what I wanted to do, even though I knew I wasn't supposed to. And I enjoyed it for like a fraction of a second. And then I felt immediate regret and guilt. (laughs) <laughs> it's like sin, sin never fulfills. It's, you know, it promises you're going to enjoy it and that you never really do. So, yeah. And so often when, if we're struggling with a sin, uh, you know, that we have a sin that we're struggling with ongoing and it really is kind of a fraction of a second that we decide that we're going to partake of this thing that we know we should not mm-hmm. instead of like stepping back, taking time to pray leaving some some time between that moment and and when we act i i always think of this this cassette tape that we had for my mm-hmm. kids with with these like christian songs for kids uh-huh. and it had, i i can't remember it exactly but there was one song and it says when something about when you feel angry stop and count to 5 you know one, two, three, four, five, and take a deep breath or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's actually something to that. Yeah, that's like really good advice. Well, isn't that what James is saying when he says be slow to anger, <clears throat> slow yes. to speak? It's like take a second, <laughs> think about it. Right, because when we're quick to speak is, is when we often are having to go and repent. Yeah. And I think on social media, you can, I've, I've, I've at times tweeted something in response or, or on a Facebook post, maybe typed something and then immediately gone, delete, delete, delete. Like I shouldn't have said that. I knew I shouldn't have said it, but I did it anyway. But like in real conversation, in real life, like that's no delete not, function. there's no delete button. Like you said it, it's out there. It's hanging in the air. Um, so I think sometimes we can hide behind that a little bit on social media. But yeah, that's true. And I think sometimes um, on social media or things that are not real life, we will say things that we would not say. Mm-hmm. If no, we had that yeah. person right in front of us. Yeah, right. I think we've talked about that even in um, talking about the Reformed community, where every Reformed church we've ever been in. People are so kind and gracious and hospitable. And yet there are corners of the reformed internet, you know, that are not kind and, you know, not 
hospitable or understanding or anything. And I, I think it's just uh, the nature of the internet. It kind of draws yeah. that out. Yeah. And I've, people have said to me, every Calvinist I know is a jerk. Every reformed person I know is a jerk. And I always stop and say, where do you know these people from? Yeah. Is this real life or is this online? online? And right. I, what I've learned is every group of people has those people. It's not mm-hmm. just reformed. There's a, a group, I won't name it, but it's kind of Calvinism versus Arminianism group. And they're the worst Ar- Arminians I've ever met in my life. Like some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. But I know that that is not representative of Arminians mm-hmm. in general. You know, it's just this online online group. So, well, one difference with our show is at this point, we don't actually have any commercials between segments. No. So I think we're going to move move along into our topic today, which is the law. Now, if you haven't listened to the last two weeks, I would actually mm-hmm. stop this episode, go back and listen to those, especially two weeks ago, law and gospel. And then we had law and gospel part two, where we answered questions. Yeah. But I think it's important to understand law and gospel before we even get into the law. And one thing that was interesting is things that we're going to be talking about on this episode, people were coming in the group and asking, so which laws do Christians have to obey? Now that I understand law and gospel, I need to understand why we think we're supposed to obey certain laws, but not others. You know, why, why don't, why can we eat pork now? And, and that sort of thing. So I knew that this episode is going to be very helpful and really go along with, with our law and gospel. And if you didn't hear that, what we basically talked about in the law and gospel is that the things in scripture are split up into the things which are commands and the things which are promises. So the law is, is anything which says do this. And the gospel is, is any, anything that promises God's grace and, and Christ's work on the cross. Yeah. And, um, I was just thinking of something I've seen. I, I've only actually seen this online. I haven't seen this in real life where people, you know, when you're talking to someone who's not a Christian and they just try to throw anything at you to kind of discredit the Bible. And they're like, well, I bet you eat shellfish, don't you? Like you hypocrite. Like, and they quote like Leviticus or whatever, you know, wherever that's found. Right. <clears throat> and I think, um, you know, obviously, like a non-believer, they're not, they're not going to have an understanding of the law. But as a Christian, like we should be able to respond to that. You know, like yeah. Well, actually, that's actually neat. Well, we can get in more into why why that that argument doesn't really work to discredit Christians. Right. But and one thing I have noticed, I was thinking about as I was pre- preparing for this episode, that I've noticed that you meet someone who believes in holding to the dietary laws or, you know, they do certain things. When you go back and you read through the Old Testament law, you know, there is no way that they are following everything. I think they're just picking and choosing certain ones like, okay, I can stay away from pork. So I'm going to do that. But there's a lot in there. You know, you talk about, um, you know, the husband can't touch his wife when she's unclean and she's unclean for quite a while. And, you know, there's just... (laughs) All, all kinds of things about how you deal with your neighbor and, you know, all 
all kinds of stuff. When you're, if you go through and, and just read through Leviticus, for, for instance, read through Exodus, you're, you're going to see all these different things. And you know that those people are not following, following all of those. Yeah. Okay. So first, I think it would be helpful to talk about the types the, of law. Yeah. The type, the types of law, because mm-hmm. we're, we've talked when we talked about law and gospel, we talked about law in general. So is in scripture, the law really is split up into different types of law. So what mm-hmm. types of law? Okay. So the three types are the first would be ceremonial. Um, an example of like the Sarah or well, ceremonial would be the animal sacrifices, temple worship, um, those kinds of things. Um, the civil law, is another type um, Leviticus twenty five twenty nine. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale for a full year. He shall have the right of redemption. So those those are just like how to how to like govern yourselves and um, you know I, I yeah. think using yeah, the word I, civil pretty clearly there. Right, yeah. and I'll I'll just stop for a minute. You can see just in what what Ashley had mentioned with the examples, you can see the difference between something that's an animal sacrifice or all of the the law that there was for temple worship and how God was to be worshipped. You can see the difference between that and 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 then a civil law, like if you sell a dwelling. This is mm-hmm. what needs to happen and how it has to go. I mean, so you can get a pretty good understanding of the, of how those two are different. Yeah, I know. And I know when I've done my, you know, Bible reading plans, when you get into um, the ceremonial laws, when it's describing like exactly how the temple should be and exactly how the animals can be, like it's a long, long passage in the Old Testament. And it's very distinct from the moral and even the civil laws. Right. And a lot of it had to do with, I mean, in the ceremonial laws, really there was so much that had to do with cleanliness and, mm-hmm. and then, and even just um, how we approach God and, and where things are to be in the temple. And, you know, it's very, very specific. Yeah. So the third type, which is actually the type we're most often referring to, Um, when we say the law is the moral law Um, and the moral law we get from the 10 commandments and the moral law is just as it sounds. I mean, it's how we are to live. Um, It, it gives us a model for living and also I guess we'll get into the, the uses of the law later. Um, But yeah, it's, it's summarized clearly in the 10 commandments. Yeah. And I, one thing I'm going to link on here is again, we're going to pick on our Scott Clark in a good way is he has a wonderful Heidelcast series on the law where he goes into what we're talking about in, in more detail. So you have either theology gals who are going to give you kind of a, a lighthearted <laughs> summary. And then you want to get the seminary professor version. You go listen <laughs> to R. Scott Clark. But yeah. one thing he was saying is that a lot of the moral law, um, we actually did not need to be told mm-hmm. that we need to honor our father and mother, right. that we need to uh, not murder or, mm-hmm. or covet. Yeah. 
So usually people attach the moral law to the Mosaic covenant um, because of, you know, Mount Sinai, like, you know, here, here are the laws on the tablets. But you think back to like Genesis and all the things that go wrong in Genesis that God clearly shows his displeasure with. And you think those people didn't have tablets of, you know, these are the laws like Cain didn't have those. And yet he knew it was wrong, you know, to murder. Um, so it's not just, this isn't just a mosaic thing. And I think that's important because people will argue that's why they no longer matter. Um, but we see these since creation that people knew, people were aware of, um, like, I think murder's like the best example because Cain knew, um, well, actually, I'm thinking now in the story of Cain, he knew it was wrong to murder, but he also was violating, I mean, the f- the first table of the law and not properly worshiping God. You know what? Let's go. So, sorry, let's I'm getting ahead. Getting no, ahead. I, I, I just, that I just think- occurred to me at the moment. So... No, this is this is really good because we actually need to talk about this. So when we talk about the Ten Commandments, you in reform circles, you'll hear the first table of the law and the second table of the law. So you mm-hmm. you were starting to talk about that. So why don't you explain what that is? Okay. This was huge for me. I just have to say, like I when I first heard this explained to me, I was like, this answers so many questions I didn't even know I had. So the Ten Commandments, we all know, one through ten. Um, the first four are uh, vertical, focused on how we are to interact with God. And the second six are horizontal, how we are to interact with one another. Um, and so we usually refer to the first table, second table. Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, last week that was arguing there's a reason the first table comes first. Like, but that's not an accident. Like there's a reason our duty to God comes before our duty to man. And um, we see this in the new Testament. um, When Jesus says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He's summarizing the first table when he says, love the Lord, your God. And then he's summarizing the second table when he says, love um, your neighbor as yourself. His listeners would have known, you know, what, what he was referring to there. Um, He was referring to the old Testament, the, the 10 commandments, the moral law. Yeah. And I think I'm not going to get into this really in depth because we're going to do a whole episode on it. But in my reading this week, I, I read somebody's, I don't remember whose website it was or how I got on it, but they said, and so now we still have to obey nine of these. Mm, I have heard that. Yeah. And there's different, and I've noticed, depending on who you're talking to, if you're talking to a dispensational, if you're talking to another type of Calvinistic Baptist, that they might have a different reason for why they think that the Sabbath is no longer one of the things. Mm Mm-hmm. But, right. you, but you had talked about the Ten Commandments in creation, and right. we're not going to get into this r- real in-depth, but we do believe that we still are to honor the Sabbath, and we no longer do it on Saturday. We now we now believe that Christ, um, he, he rose from the dead, and 
we, we now do that on the first day of the week instead of the last. But mm-hmm. but we believe that we do have one day in seven that is set aside for the worship of God and that we honor that. And that's part of our worship of God. The first table of the law, it's, you know, we've got, we were told that we're not to use the Lord's name in vain. We're to worship him in specific ways that we're not to have any other idols. We're told these things. And this is, that goes into that category because this is the worship of God. But it, the reason why we think it still is part of our duty before God is because it does go back to creation. I'm not going to say a lot more because we're going to do a whole episode just on Sabbath, unless you want to add anything to what I said there. Um, No, I I think, I think it's just important to point out that this is from creation. Um, That it's not, this isn't because I, I think that's what, what I've seen more often is people say, well, that was mosaic and we're in the new Testament church now. And, um, so that doesn't really like apply to us anymore, but you know, if Jesus repeated it in the new Testament, like there's like a verse that's very, you know, clear repetition, um, then, then we still have to do it cause we're in the new Testament church, which, um, Jesus did repeat them. <laughs> as we just said, he, he said, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, which, um, is the first four, including the fourth commandment. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that pretty much, pretty much covers that. So, uh, one thing we wanted to talk about is how is the law useful to us as Christians? Well, it's, mm-hmm. it's useful to everyone, but we're, we're going to specifically, <laughs> it is useful to us as Christians. And we did, t- we did touch on this in the first mm-hmm. episode that the law, it has a pedagogical use, which means it's, it's a schoolmaster. It leads us to Christ. It, it has a civil use, which, so it restrains sin and God's common grace. And then we have the normative use It instructs Christians. And I, I found some stuff online. I thought this was so, so helpful just in talking about the law and it talked about, um, so the pedagogical use in, in this uh, thing that I found on Ligonier, it says that the law in its first use reveals the character of God, and that's valuable to any believer at any time. But as the law reveals the character of God, it provides a mirror to reflect to us our unholiness against the ultimate standard of righteousness. So the law serves as a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. And right away you think of, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we see God's law and we see his holiness and we see where we fall short of Mm -hmm. his holiness. And then secondly, and we've talked about, we talked about the civil use previously on the, on the other episode, but it does give us a guide and and the law does function as a restraint against sin. Mm-hmm. And then third, and from from my reading, this was Calvin's in Calvin's perspective, the most important, and that is that the law reveals to us what is pleasing to God. So we're not under the old covenant and its stipulations. Yet at the same time, we are called to imitate Christ and to live as Mm -hmm. people who seek to please God. 
and we talked about this before when we were talking about antinomianism. I, I can't even imagine just saying, well, Christ paid for that and I'm just going to go and live in my sin. Right. Because like understanding God's grace, does that not, I think my biggest motivation for obedience is understanding God's love and grace towards me. Yeah. And I I can't, I can't imagine being like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go and, you know, I'm going to go commit adultery. You know, Christ paid for that. (laughs) I'm going to go do this where we still struggle with our sin, but I can't imagine not desiring to live in obedience. Yeah. Well, as of what he's done for us. I mean, James makes it pretty clear that like a Christian will bear fruit. Like they will, like if you're regenerate, you'll bear fruit. And so, I think maybe for a short while, like a Christian could be thinking that way. Um, But I think eventually God will discipline because he disciplines those that he loves. So um, I just think that kind of attitude won't last long. I do think most people, I think most people don't think that way. Like maybe their theology doesn't really explain the law and how it applies but like, even if they're antinomian in their theology, they they still have a sense of, you know, being obedient um, to the law. Um, I mean, just from people I've come across that, you know, they tell you, oh, no, the Ten Commandments don't apply to New Testament Christians. And, you know, they're not like those types of people. They're not like raging against God. They're not like you know, raging antinomians, their, their lives don't look that much different than mine. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it's good to understand the theology of the law, I guess. Well, and, and the other thing is too, like we talked about in the last episode, and we've talked about in our sanctification episode too, is that when you are in Christ, you are being sanctified Mm-hmm. He is working in you. You can't help it. That's how that's mm-hmm. how I think about it. I can't help it but desire obedience and to be growing in my sanctification because that's the work that God is doing in me. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I always think of when I think of the uh, normative use of the law, and I've really, I was talking with a friend I have a good friend and her and I became reformed like around the same time, like two or three years ago. And we've just had this very interesting, I mean, it's been really has been life-changing in a lot of ways. um, Even though we were saved years before, but we were talking about, you know, a lot of times when people talk about the law and how important the law is, they'll say something like, I've actually heard this on a podcast. Someone said, people don't need to be told not to murder people. Like they don't, they don't need to hear that. Um, They just need to hear the gospel, the gospel, like they need to hear the gospel. And so that was kind of my background is, you know, I just hear the gospel. I never, I never heard about the normative use of the law. And then when I started going to a Presbyterian church and they're using this weird thing called a catechism, I was like, what is going on here? I started reading it. And let me just read what question 104 says. This is this is just what are the duties required? Not even what are the duty what's forbidden, but what are the duties required in the first commandment? It says, the duties required in the first commandment are 
the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly by thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of him, believing him, trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing, being zealous for him, calling upon him, giving all praise and thanks and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man, being careful in all things to please him and sorrowful when in anything he is offended and walking humbly with him. That's just like half of the first commandment. And so when I started like really looking into this, I realized how little I knew about what I as a Christian was supposed to be doing. I had no idea how to please God. I really didn't. I thought I go to church on Sunday. I read my Bible sometimes. I pray sometimes like, but I mean that list there, esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, that is a lot. And that's just one commandment, you know? So I think by not understand, not having a full understanding of the law, you're, you're missing um, ways that you can please God in, you know, and if you don't, if you're just not aware, you're not aware. And so that's been really huge for me. And I think that in understanding that, the other thing that we understand is how much we fall short mm-hmm. and how great his grace is. You know, I saw a question on Twitter. It had something to do with why God lets bad things happen to good people. And it's it's because we don't fully understand the law that we even think that we're good. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not good people. We are sinful, even if we just consider the first table of the law. Yeah. And how much we, if even if you consider it, to summarized it, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or how much have we fallen short of that today? Today. Yeah, in the last hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not even getting to the second table. And and I would argue, like I heard on a, uh, it was on the Reform Pubcast, um, one of the hosts was talking about it. <clears throat> that if you're not if you're not seriously striving to be holy and honoring the first table of the law that the second table kind of goes out the window like how how can you really love your neighbor if you're not first striving to love the lord um and one of the I'm, I'm totally borrowing this from him, so I do want to credit Tanner from the podcast. Um, one of the things he said is that the church really does focus a lot on the second table. You know, the evangelical church, even without really referencing the Ten Commandments, you do hear a lot about, um, you know, murdering, stealing, things like that. You know, you know those things and how to how you should treat each other. But I feel like not a lot of time is spent. Um, understanding what is really required in the first commandment. Like what, what does that mean for me to follow the first commandment? So, and would you say, I mean, Colleen, when you read something like that, like when you're reading in the catechism and you're trying to understand, just let's say you're trying to understand just the first commandment and you read that it's both pedagogical and normative really as a Christian. Right. I mean, cause you're reading that. And like you said, you're, you're going, oh my gosh. Like, yeah, it's, it's just, useful for all of these things. Yeah. E- each law is useful for all of these things. And one thing I'm linking in this week's 
episode and on our new website, theologygals.com. One thing I am I'm linking is the catechism and the confession, because if you want to understand this, you're not going to find a better summary than what's in the catechism and what's in the confession. And I'm actually linking the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the larger catechism. Mm-hmm. I'm linking the Heidelberg Catechism, and I'm linking um, chapter 19 of the Westminster Oh, I said, let's see, Westminster, yeah, I said catechism. So the two catechisms, the confession, and then the Heidelberg catechism, I'm linking mm-hmm. all of those because all, all of those are helpful. And where I link them, they're going to have the the proof text where, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're not just making this stuff up. What's in the confession catechism is based on what we find in scripture. Yeah. But I, I think it's helpful to read through that and you know, on the Ten Commandments, you read through the Shorter Catechism, it'll it'll say, you know, what is required and uh, what is annexed. Is that what it says? Mm-hmm. I don't have it right in front of me. And What are the reasons annexed to the Second right, Commandment? The reasons, yeah. Yeah. And you read, and it, it really made me think through the commandments in ways I never had before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very and challenging. The other thing. The other thing we do not consider when we think about God's law is that we have sins of omission and sins of commission. So I I may lie to you, and so I'm committing the sin, um, mm-hmm. but, I'm, but I may also neglect to love you as myself. And that is an equal, anything that we're neglecting to do perfectly is also a sin. If I'm not loving my neighbor as myself, then I'm falling short of God's glory. Mm-hmm. I'm not obeying perfectly. And one thing I've I've learned when I went to the Holiness Bible College and they believed in entire sanctification, they did not have a a correct view of the law. You know, it was more like, you know, if I if I don't lie and cheat and murder and commit mm-hmm. adultery, then I'm I'm entirely sanctified. But are you loving are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength every moment? Mm-hmm. Because you're not entirely sanctified if you're neglecting to do that. Right. Yeah. And and the sixth commandment even is a lot more than just physical murder. Yeah. You Jesus said if you yeah. if you hate your brother, you're guilty. Right. One thing I my pastor was preach he's preaching through the Sermon on the Mount recently, which is, you know, all law. And um he Maybe I mentioned this on the episode on an episode. I actually can't remember um, pregnancy brain, maybe. Um, but um, he keeps saying over and over again, certain amount. You've heard it said that, but I say, and have I said this before, Colleen? I don't think so. Okay, so when you read the sermon on the mount, he keeps saying that, right? He's like, you've heard it said that, and he's like, but I say. And what I always thought was confusing about that is it almost when I was very young and didn't really understand how the Old Testament even related to the New Testament, I thought Jesus was actually like replacing the Old Testament or like contradicting it kind of by saying like, you've heard all these things, but I'm here now and this is what I'm saying. And my pastor was like, no, 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 that's not what he's doing at all. He's saying, you've heard it said like people have said this is what the law was about, you know, like it's because the the Ten Commandments were given 
and there was a long period of time, you know, um, before Christ came. And so, you know, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they were, they were able to make the law into a lot, you know, make it what they wanted, you know, and kind of stretch it and pull it and change it a little bit. And so he's not, he's not contradicting um, the old Testament because God doesn't contradict himself. Um, he's saying, this is what it was said, but I say, and what, what, you know, and what I say, what I say is, is what is, is law. I mean, it, yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's, he's kind of, you know, I'm, I can't think of exactly what it is, but it's like, you've heard it said, you know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Right. And he's like, that's not what, that's not what the sixth commandment is about at all. You know, right. it, I say, you know love your neighbor and love your enemy, you know, walk, walk, um, two miles or I, I'm, I'm miss, I'm butchering it a little bit, <laughs> but, but you know, where he's saying, go, you go above and beyond, you know, to love your enemy. That's, that's really what the law was about. You know, that's right. And I'm here telling you now. Um, so, um, which is, you know, pretty cool that Jesus spent some time actually, offering, you know, actually explaining to his people like this, this is really, you know, cause, cause God's character is revealed in the law, like who yes. God is, which we can talk more about in a second. But, and so he's saying, no, this is, this is who I really am. And this is, this is what really pleases me. Um, right. Not, not what you've heard, um, which gives me goosebumps a little bit. So. Yeah. yeah, you you mentioned something earlier about it, God's character, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Where the it does the the law of God does reveal reveal His character, and it it is who He is when when He is the He is the very one that outlines what is good and perfect, and mm-hmm. it's because revealing that law and understanding who God is that we also see our own sin and are driven to Christ. Mm-hmm. And now I know that some people, because here's how now we're going to get to the question that a lot of people asked, which is how do I know which laws that we still have to obey? Okay. And, yeah. And we and we started out this episode explaining the the different categories that the law fits into, where we have the ceremonial, we have the civil, we have the moral. And Ashley had said, you're going to hear us mainly talk about the moral. So, so why, why is that? And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, and that is, so all aspects of the old covenant law are fulfilled in Christ, but two of the three aspects are also abolished with the fulfillment while mm-hmm. one aspect carries over into the new covenant. And mm-hmm. so we actually have the civil and the ceremonial laws are abolished. Well, all all are abolished, but the new the moral law carries over into the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And this is the cer- okay. So the ceremonial laws and the civil laws are fulfilled by Christ and abolished. And one thing I wanted to mention too, because I'm going to be linking the Westminster Catechism, and I I jotted this down because I think it's important that what the Westminster calls judicial law is what we're calling civil law. So I think more Mm -hmm. often we hear civil, not judicial, but the Westminster uses judicial. And, and you know what, I just want to encourage everyone to read Westminster confession 19. I, if we had more time, I'd read it now because 
it really goes through all of this. I mean, it, it starts with God gave to Adam a law as a covenant of works by which he bound him and all his posterity. And it just, it just goes on and it just, it's just talks about the law and, and where we are now in Christ. So go and read that. Cause I, I really have been appreciating reading that this week and also the catechism questions too. I mean, there's so much you could even incorporate this in the scripture verses into, into your um, private Bible reading time. Cause I think it's, it's really helpful. If you ever want to do an in-depth study of the 10 commandments using the, the catechism and confession, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Okay. So do you have anything to add to what I was saying about? Well, what about the person that says, well, why, I mean, why the ceremonial and the civil don't apply, but why the moral? Someone might say that. And that's what we were saying before is that the moral goes back. One thing I read this week, and I, I love this, but it was talking about how the ceremonial and civil laws pointed upward to heaven and forward to Christ. Mm. And there the ceremonial and civil laws did have a purpose. Mm-hmm. One thing I, one thing that was new to me with reformed theology that I did not grow up with is going through an old Testament passage and seeing that it pointed to Christ. That yeah. was, and finding out, cause I kind of grew up where I kind of thought the old Testament's just like boring and it doesn't matter <laughs> anymore, you know? Yeah. And, and, going to this Presbyterian church and they're preaching through the old Testament. It's different than anything I'd ever heard before where they're actually talking about Christ in the old Testament. Like this, like the coolest thing I ever heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I actually, when I was a kid thought there were two different gods, there was this kind of mean God in the old Testament and this like nice Jesus in the new Testament. That's I sincerely believe that probably into my teens. <laughs> Because I really, no one ever explained to me the difference between the old and the new and how it's the same guy. Like, I I just had no idea. Yeah. So. And if that's, that's a new thing to you, we should find maybe some, some um, sermons to post on there. Cause I, I just remember the first time I, well, it it wasn't the first time I heard a sermon like that, but Mm -hmm. um, kind of the internet and having sermons online. I think sermon audio was new or something like that. And yeah. I listened to this, this sermon about Christ in the old Testament. And I was just in tears, just wow. hearing all of these examples of Christ in the old Testament, because mm-hmm. much at, at that point, I'd begun to hear sermons at church that from the old Testament that pointed to Christ, but just hearing all, just Christ throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. It was so amazing to me. Just all all fit together and made so much sense. Yeah. And in fact, some people might not, if you're not in the group, you might not know this, but Theology Gals actually has a Tuesday night Bible study that we do over Google Hangouts. And la- we just finished Philippians, and now we're doing the book of Hosea. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to kind of go back and forth between Old Testament, New Testament, I think sometimes with women's studies or Bible studies in general, you're like, okay, well, let's do Philippians or Romans or which is great. Every book right. of the Bible is wonderful. But I thought wouldn't it be just great to really dig in to an Old Testament book. And Hosea is amazing in in pointing you to Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. When I first started hearing sermons like that, that's when I was like a brand new Christian um, at the church that we grew up in. Um, just hearing sermons about Christ in the Old Testament, I was, I mean, it blew my mind. I just never had heard anything like that before. Um, one thing I think is helpful, um, you know, talking about, you know, Christ fulfilled the law. Fulfill sounds a little bit confusing. What does that mean, fulfill? Um, doesn't that mean we don't have to follow it anymore? Um, I, I've just heard all of these things, you know, as as I've kind of like dug through. I was going to read Matthew 5 just because okay. um, Christ actually says, you know, Matthew five seventeen. he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. And then he warns us. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He even says, for I tell you, until your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I and think I think that's that's helpful to see that in the New Testament where Christ is saying, I'm not abolishing the law. Like I I mean, he spends there's three chapters there of the Sermon on the Mount where he's just expounding on it and correcting things. So if his intent was to abolish the law, he there there would be no reason to spend you know, there's no reason to do the Sermon on the Mount and and spend all that time correcting and explaining the law. Like, why why would he even do that? So he makes it clear. I didn't I didn't come to abolish it. Well, and one thing that I think about that I really didn't hear growing up is you know, I knew that Jesus died for my sins. I knew that Jesus lived a perfect life, but learning that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly for me, mm-hmm. understanding that that his righteousness is imputed to me that he obeyed the law perfectly and that and it's just as if i obeyed the law perfectly it's mm-hmm. pretty amazing we were talking about that sunday night at like our evening ser- well we don't exactly have an evening service yet cuz we can't use our building but we have a sunday night thing and we spent like an hour talking about one catechism question we we're just talking about justification um, question 70 in the larger catechism And my pastor was making that point that justification is not just when you're justified. It's not just Jesus forgives all your sins. It's also him imputing his own perfect righteousness to you. And all of us sitting there were like, how come we only ever hear the first thing? You know what I mean? Like whenever someone talks about, you know, justification, or even not even using that word. Yeah. Someone just talks about Christ. They're saying, all your sins are forgiven. There's never the, oh, and also Jesus's perfect righteousness is imputed to you. And my pastor was arguing, you need both to get into heaven. You need both. You can't just have no sin. You need Jesus's perfect, um, perfect righteousness because he was arguing that Adam living in the garden had no sin. Like he was without sin, but he, and so it it just was like super interesting to just think about that. Like 
Right. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't get talked about enough. Right. And, and I think I had said when I'd gone to that conference, something that, that Jared Wilson had said, which was, it's not just as if I never sinned. It's just as if um, I always obeyed perfectly. And be, that, that's what Christ's imputed righteousness is, is that he, he obeyed perfectly for us, which means when that is imputed to us, it's as if we always obeyed perfectly and never disobeyed. Yeah. And it's a, it's just truly, truly amazing to think about that. Um, mm-hmm. But that, I, we're kind of getting running out of time, and I did want to get to a yeah about that um, in a minute. I have so many great resources. I know that there's so much more we could say on this subject. So please check out the resources. Please check out our new website, but know that the website will be getting better. We've got some people that are going to be helping us out with it. We're still kind of, I kind of want to put up on the website, like work in progress or under construction or something like that. Cause this is all new to us. And so there's a lot that, that we're trying to get done. I have been working like crazy for hours every day. And then at the end of the day saying, what did I get done today? <laughs> um, just cause there's a lot, a lot that, that, we've had to do to transfer everything. Cause one thing I knew that if we didn't transfer it correctly, we could lose everything in our RSS feed. And I love that you guys can go to iTunes, the same place you always went to or to your podcast app and you're it's like as if nothing changed. And so that's one thing we had to work really hard to, to keep. And then just some other stuff. So keep us in prayer because we, we have, we're still trying to get some things done. And, and I did just want to also say a quick thank you to Tim Hurd. Um, I'm just, he's, he's been very helpful and I'm just, I'm very grateful. And that's, that's Tim Hurd from Bible Thumping Wing. Now I'm just very grateful for him and everything that he's done for us. So I wanted to mention that. And in Andrew Rappaport too, he's just been helpful all, all the way through. So, well, we're not going to go to commercial and I am, I'm going to put Ashley on the spot with our yeah about that. And I don't know if it's really a yeah about that, but this is, sometimes I think this has been all over in Christian social media. So if you've been on social media the last week, you probably heard it and know who said it, but I thought it would, I think every once in a while it's probably good for Ashley and I to address these things. So I'm going to read it to you. So if you are interested in going to seminary, please do not give your time or your money to an institution that does not hire female faculty. For the love of God, we do not need any more people serving in the church who have only been taught by men. Okay, (laughs) we're going there. Huh? We're going there on this podcast. Okay. I mean, there's two sides to this. And okay, we'll probably be on the have our own little bit on this. So what's crazy is I don't entirely agree with that tweet, Mm -mm. but I don't entirely disagree with it Mm -hmm. either because the other, the response, well, that person, I know exactly who you're talking about, was responding to an article that came out that said women should not be teaching in seminary. Right. And this person is saying you shouldn't go to a seminary that doesn't have I mean, I suppose if it's a seminary's policy to never hire women, that would be a warning sign. But 
I don't think, I don't know if it's necessary that someone has to be taught by women in order to be right. a pastor. So that's, right. that's what I'm going to push back on with her, her response. Right. Um, I find myself somewhere in the middle there saying, I think it's okay for if a woman teaches at seminary. Yeah. Because what if a woman is like the best has the best understanding of Hebrew yeah. Like, don't you want the person teaching Hebrew that has like the best understanding? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know, well, let me tell you what I did today. I only got to a couple, so I'm going to still try to go and look some more, but I decided just off the top of my head to go to the websites of a couple of reformed seminaries and look at the faculty list and see if there was any women. And so far, on the ones I've looked at, there's been at least one woman. Okay. Faculty. So I'm going to look through some more. Now, I'll be honest, I've not looked at a Baptist seminary yet. And so I know that the person, the people who are saying a woman should not even teach at a seminary are saying that part, the reason is, is that part of being at seminary is kind of shepherding these, shepherding and discipling, and you can't have women doing that. But I don't think, I would say, I I'm not really convinced that every seminary professor is necessarily doing that. And I think that there are classes. I mean, I'm not sure how I'd feel about a woman teaching, you know, preaching 101. But but there are, I think, in one of the Reformed seminaries, I'm not going to name it, she was actually teaching like Old Testament studies or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think that there are things that women can learn. And I know, you know, it's funny because there are so many people out there that think that you and I are just way too conservative, but I know that there are some people right now that are thinking, what? Or something. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel Miller had that article. Like not a feminist. Yeah. Not a feminist. I'm not an egalitarian, you know, um, we're always in those weird in between. We're never, we never quite fit either definition. Yeah. Cause we believe so strongly that only men should be pastors. Only men should be leaders in the church, that it's our husbands who are leaders in the home. But we also think that there are things that, that women can do. And I think where, where you and I would say out in the world in view of two kingdoms that a woman where, where men might be better at being a construction worker or, mm-hmm. you know, in the military or that sort of thing that there's that a woman can do much that a man can do like lawfully. She mm-hmm. can yeah. do much that a man can do. And I think where this question is, is kind of like on that fence is that we're talking about something that is not it that so it, it doesn't fall into the sacred fully it's definitely not in the sec, sec, secular but it doesn't fall into the sacred fully either because we're not mm-hmm. talking about in the church um, seminary classes are not on Sunday morning and worship in the church and so I think that's where yeah they're that's why we have some different views on this. But I do find it very interesting that respectable, reformed seminaries have women professors, at least the mm-hmm. ones that I've looked at so far. I'm still yeah. going to, I'm actually very devoted to going through and just out of curiosity. Seeing, yeah. yeah, just seeing. Um, and I wonder if it'll be different if you've got a PNR one, Presbyterian Reformed Seminary, if that's going to be different than, than Baptist. I don't know. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't know. I'll either. report back. Yeah. And, you know, there's women that actually go to seminary. Um, 
you know, obviously not to be, well, if it's a good seminary, they're not going to allow women to come in to be pastors. We've got girls in our, in our group. They're not getting an MDiv, but there's mm -hmm. other things. They're either going because they want to write or they want to teach Mm -hmm. or just for their own studies. So some, some even have like a counseling type. Right. That's true. So, and women, you know, women. Yeah. So, so if women can't teach in seminaries, then it would logically follow that they also can't attend them because if the only thing that's happening at a seminary is this is pastoral training, then, yeah, you know, and, and I agree with you. Like if, if the, if the class is like, you know, how to preach 101, how to, how to do pastoral care 101. Yeah. Why would a woman teach that? Cause a woman doesn't have experience or shouldn't have experience doing that. Um, but yeah, if it's Greek or I don't know, Hebrew or I, you know, I have classes, there's all kinds of classes in seminar. It's not yeah. just preaching there. Yeah. It's not just preaching. There's languages, there's, there's, all, there's all kinds of things um, that they take. You know what? I'm going to actually change my, I'm going to put together my little, my little survey and I'm going to find out two things. I'm going to look up all the reformed, reformed Baptist type seminaries. I'm going to find out, do they have any women professors and do they allow women to attend? I think we'll do that. Um, those two questions. I know that there are a couple of um, seminary wives from a specific Baptist seminary. And I know that the wives are doing some program for wives, a couple of the girls in our group. Mm -hmm. So I might ask them, do they only let wives do this wives program? Do they allow women to take? And so I'll see what I can find out. And it would be an interesting, interesting discussion. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we, we probably we probably pretty much. Yeah. Cover that one. I, I just want to say that I, I would not tell someone, Hey, if that seminary doesn't have any women in it, don't go there. Um, I don't know. I don't think I would say that. I don't, right. I don't think like men have to be taught by women. I just think that it's allowable. Right. Um, it's so, lawful. It's permissible. Yeah. And, and I think I, I just also want to add that there, there's just a big difference between the authority of the local church and a parachurch organization, which a seminary is a parachurch organization. Um, you know, teaching is not the same thing as preaching on Sunday morning. Right. Um, so if I that's think some seminaries do have denominational affiliation. And so I don't know if that functions differently, if they're affiliated with the denomination. But I think even I know that I can think of a one seminary off the top of my head that has a denominational affiliation, but you don't have to be a member of that denomination to attend. So it still mm. is not going to have the same sort of authority that the local church would. Yeah. Yeah. And um, someone I saw this on Twitter somewhere. Someone was making the point that like a lot of the a lot of the learning pastors do on how to be pastors actually doesn't even happen at seminaries. It happens at a, the local church where, you know, like in our, in, in my denomination, they'll, they'll say someone's under care. Um, so that means they're going to be our pastor eventually, but they're in seminary and, and someone is a, a pastor is, you know, discipling them or an elder is discipling them. And that's where a lot of the, you know, 
learning and stuff is actually happening and should happen. The local church should the, be the on the job training. Kind yeah. Of. The local church yeah. should be growing pastors. It's not just something you ship off, you know, to the, the seminary and say, Hey, make us pastors and, right. you know, send them over. It, that does need to happen at the church level. In fact, the church, the church we grew up in, they, they have a, a, a young guy who's, you know, working with the, the youth and, you know, he's kind of under care of like the, the senior pastors and he's in seminary and they're, he's getting some preaching experience and, you know, he's learning, but at, at a local level, but also at a, at a seminary. Yeah. I know one denomination that, that their seminary is affiliated with the denomination. And when I, and I might get this a tiny bit wrong, so I'm not going to say the exact denomination, but it's something like this. After they graduate, they're actually sent for a year to go. They're sent to a church for a year to work under that pastor. And so they're they're preaching and, and helping the pastor, but they're kind of getting that that hands-on experience and and working very closely with a pastor. And I know that my my cousin, who is a pastor, that they're not reformed at all, but their seminary did that too. And he actually had a, a guy that graduated come and live with him and his wife because he wasn't, this kid wasn't married, came and lived with him and his wife. And my, my cousin's actually my mom's cousin. So he's like um, a bit older than me, but mm-hmm. lived with his, my cousin and his wife. And, you know, we even, they, they live near us out here. We even went one Sunday to hear because he was preaching and, you know, just got to a lot of discipleship and shepherding and, and guiding and, and just one-on-one training and, and learning what it means to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Yep. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll de- definitely have to talk about this more yeah. um, in the future. Cause I think it's an interesting discussion, kind of a, what, what can women do or something like that? Yeah. And if, if you, if you disagree with us, you're angry, um, please send your com- complaints to Colleen Sharp. She's at, <laughs> at Reform Gal on Twitter. That's where, that's where all our complaints go. All our complaints. Actually, you know what? I, I'm I, just kidding. I do want to say this. If you disagree with us and have a very strong reason of why, send it yeah. to us. You know what? We'll, we'll read it on the air and we'll consider what you have to say. So, yeah, that, that's actually happened before. Someone yeah. said, hey, I disagree with this. You said it on the podcast. Right. And I went back and I went... Yeah, that was wrong. <laughs> you know. So and, and you can email us at theologygals at mm-hmm. gmail.com. And I did want to say thank you to all of you that have supported us. You guys have made this transition possible. And if you are somebody who would like to support us, because the things that we are doing do do cost us some money, then you can support us at through Patreon. And there is a link on the web page to support us through Patreon. And if you support us through Patreon, you can say, hey, I can only give you $3 a month or something like that. Every tiny bit helps. And then we're also working on something for one-time donations too, because I know some people are saying, I want to, I w- would like to support you guys, but I can't commit to every month. And so, but every little bit helps. And we're just so grateful to all of you that have committed to supporting us. And we know that so many of you are praying for us too. I've gotten some messages to that effect. And we just thank you so much for that. 
And mm-hmm. we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have you guys out there listening and supporting us and encouraging us. I'm just, I got a note just this week from somebody. In fact, I, I'm yet to pass it along to Ashley, but she said, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I just really appreciate the podcast. And, you know, I thought we actually, we do hear it, but I wouldn't say we hear it like all the time, every day. <laughs> you know, not like I'm open up the Gmail going, oh, look at yeah. there's 25 more, how much we love you. I mean, um, we could but, always hear it more. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, every time, every time I do hear it, it like I, it means so much. It, it really does mean so much to me. So um, we appreciate, we appreciate those positive notes that you guys send. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll, we'll see you next week.